Please be advised, all music tracks used in this production are sole property of Kelson Communications and are original compositions. Also, please be advised that the sound bites you'll hear from Dr. Richard Stone, I was granted permission to use from administrative personnel at the VA in Washington. Thank you. Hello, everyone. This is Silas, your e-journalism social work advocate. Coming up will be a Kelson on the Air social work podcast special series entitled Social Workers Confronting COVID-19 with Compassion, Courage, and Character. Over the next several weeks, you will hear from social workers from all over the country share their stories and their experiences battling and dealing with this devastating pandemic. It is my greatest wish that these stories will garner a new level of appreciation for the vitally important role that social workers play in confronting the challenges, heartbreak, and tragedies this coronavirus is wreaking on all of us. Social workers are there for everyone right now as they are always. To open up this series, please hear this profound message from Dr. Richard Stone, executive in charge of the Veterans Health Administration in Washington, D.C. Following that, you'll hear Dr. Samantha Fletcher, MSW, Executive Director of the National Association of Social Workers, New York State Chapter. Please listen, learn, and be inspired. Thank you for tuning in. Today, I want to talk to you about our social work community. You know, social workers are always there. They're always part of our team, and they're always interacting with our patients for various specific needs. But now with social isolation, uh, people uh, people have need social workers for the first time, and our social workers, for the most part, have worked face-to-face with our patients and their families. Now they can't do that. It's very difficult work, and it's unprecedented, the level of support we've gotten from our social works community. I want you to think about how much financial instability has, uh, has been induced during all of this shutdown. Uh, People are worried about money, people are worried about their jobs, people are worried about each other, and it's our social workers who are the glue that holds this together. And in any really good healthcare system, the social workers are out in front trying to make sure families are well taken care of and all of the unique needs that are not met by our medical professionals are really handled by the social work community. So today I'd like you to take a minute and just thank your social workers that are part of your team and recognize how much extraordinary work they've been able to accomplish throughout this pandemic. Thank you. To everyone tuning in, welcome. This is Silas, your e-journalism social work advocate. You're listening to the Kelson on the Air Social Work Podcast, the program that promotes, celebrates, uplifts, and highlights the social work profession. This podcast aims to educate the general public to the vital contributions professional social workers make in every aspect of society every day. Today, we have the distinct pleasure of talking to the Executive Director of National Association of Social Workers, New York State Chapter, Dr. Samantha Fletcher. Previously, before taking over the helm of NASW at the New York State Chapter, she was Assistant Dean, Student Services and Graduate Admissions at the University of Albany 
employee SUNY. Prior to that, she was a project coordinator with the Research Foundation of SUNY. Some of the responsibilities and tasks that she dealt with were to assist with program evaluation for the Joseph P. Dwyer Peer Support Program, assist with development of evaluation tools for statewide projects, coordinate and implement site visits, develop multi-site monthly reporting structure, and quantitative data collection, among other things. So it's my distinct pleasure to introduce the recently named Executive Director of the New York State Chapter, Dr. Samantha Fletcher. Thank you, Silas. I really appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. And and before we start, I just want to say that good news travels fast. And the word is all over what an outstanding job you've done in such a short span of time. And who would have thought when you took over in September that six months later, you'd be in the midst of dealing with a a global pandemic as the uh, head of uh, one of the most active chapters in NASW. So thank you for everything that you're doing for social workers and for the New York State chapter. And again, it's an honor and a pleasure to have you. So what I'd like to do, you know, obviously we're focusing on social workers and the role that they play in battling the COVID-19 pandemic. So I'd like you to before we go into some of the talking points that we discussed earlier, is kind of lay out what what have you been seeing from your seat as part of the uh, frontline ground level experience of helping social workers to get through this pandemic? Well, that's a good question. So looking at it from the perspective of an executive director, I, I'm just going to take you back to when this started. Yes. So it was, yeah, because that's always the best place to start, right? Um, so really at the beginning of March, you know, we were we were starting here to hear about COVID a lot. We knew it was in the United States, but we didn't quite know what it was going to turn into. So it was really the week of March 16th when things took a very drastic turn and um, the governor started putting things in place for us to social distance. Yes. So at that point, like at the beginning, when we first started hearing about it, um, you know, we had it on our radar and we were really looking at it. But that week when things changed, everything blew up. So we started getting literally hundreds of phone calls and emails every day from members and non-members, just social workers in the state, really looking for guidance, um, letting us know what problems there were and when I took over in September, um, the board brought me on and they, they really gave me the task to assess, assess and correct everything. Yes. So that's what we've been doing. That's what we've been doing for six months. Mm-hmm. So when we started getting these calls, it was really like, let's see what we can do to support the members. Because that was one of the things that I thought was really important. The members are first. The NASW is its members. That's what makes up our organization. So we made sure that we returned all those emails and all those calls within 24 to 48 hours. And if a member called, I called them back. Because um, if you're reaching out, I really feel like that you want to speak to someone. And I had the pleasure of speaking to social workers all over the state. And some of the things we first started hearing is, you know, um, the governor's putting things in place for us to reduce uh, going into the office and to work remotely. My organization's not doing that. 
what should we do? How do you think we should take care of ourselves? So I always referred people to the governor and said, you know, make sure you listen to what the governor's saying. He's giving us good guidance here. But I would also relay what he was saying. I'm like, you know, if you can get a mask, get a mask. Yes. If you can get gloves, get a glove. You want to protect yourself. And, you know, also educate your clients. And I think it's really important that I mention that every person I talked to, not one of them said, how is this going to impact me? Every single one of them was concerned about their clients. Yes. So, yeah, I had people call and they would say, you know, I've been working with my client for years and now, you know, we've been told to work remotely. They can't connect via telehealth. Um, I think I need to go in the office because I need to see them. I can't not provide services for them. So it was, I was really amazed at the level of dedication. I wasn't surprised, but I was amazed because that was everyone's first priority were their clients. And how can I support them during this? That's an excellent point. Uh, And and just to kind of add to that point, to to share with you uh, in speaking with another social worker, um, you know, you know, story came forth that this particular social worker was working with uh, at risk youth uh, and many of those at risk youth were subject to uh, domestic violence uh, scenarios in the home and their only um, refuge from that would have been to, you know, go to school for those, you know, you know, you know, five and a half or six hours a day where they could get a little bit of respite from the domestic violence. And this social worker was so concerned that, you know, her students were all of a sudden not going to have that. Um, She decided that she was going to continue um, going to the school and offering, you know, them the opportunity to, you know, at least come by and see her. And so that speaks to, the level of dedication of social workers. And, and I'm glad you brought, brought that point out um, because as I said in several other interviews that I've con- conducted, doctors and nurses absolutely are hats, hats off to all of them. Um, but social workers, you know, we're in a unique position to, to see and to handle and deal with things that other um, people that are frontline workers just simply don't get to experience because, you know, they do what they do and they do it very well and then they, they leave and a lot of times it's the social worker. So let's talk about some of the different roles that social workers have been playing during this COVID-19 pandemic as they provide the majority of the mental and behavioral health services in the state and in various settings. Just kind of enlighten our listeners to some of that. Okay, so I would say that the, a lot of the work that the social workers are doing is what we always do, but now we're in a pressure cooker. So the heat is turned up and it's become more intense. Now that's not a problem for social workers because we run toward crisis. We're trained to do that. We're trained to intervene in the worst scenarios possible. So I like to start like this explanation with people have to understand our profession. And I think we have a misunderstood profession in a lot of ways. So I'm not sure people understand that, you know, all social workers are trained to provide interventions at the societal and community level, at the small group level, such as families or, you know, like classrooms, uh, those types of examples, and at the individual level. So whenever we're providing those interventions, we're always looking at how the environment is impacting the system that that we're looking at and we're assessing. So right now, COVID is that environment. Yes. Essentially, the world is in crisis. 
so we're looking at that, and we also have that social justice lens at the same time, because as social workers, we always have a social justice lens of how is this impacting people in different ways. So I think that during COVID, what we're doing is we're hitting multiple areas. So when we're treating people and groups and communities, we understand like the racial disparities that we're seeing. So everyone's talking about how COVID is disproportionately impacting communities of color. Absolutely. This doesn't really surprise us because we already know. We know that communities of color are oppressed in every system of society. So, you know, also news reports coming out that the arrest in New York City, all but one person who's been arrested for violating social distancing orders have been people of color. Mm -hmm. This comes into how we treat people because we know that there's added stressors for some groups. So we have to address that. We have to address the oppression people are facing. We have to address the social uh, and physical distancing that people are going through and in any crisis as they may be going through like domestic violence or um, even like a loss of a job and especially like loss of loved ones. So we're, we're really intervening in all those things. Again, this is what we do all the time. Yes. Um, yeah. And I would say that, you know, if I was telling someone who doesn't understand what social workers do, we understand complex problems and we assist people with finding their internal power so that they can advocate on their behalf. They can build resilience and they can grow. And I'm just seeing this across all systems. So we're embedded everywhere. Like you said, so talking about the role, social workers are in all areas of society. We're in hospitals. We're in all areas of the hospital from the ER to pediatrics, to the, the mental health ward, to the Alzheimer's clinic, to the cancer treatment clinics, anywhere you think of, we're there. We're in the schools. You were talking about the social worker working in the schools. Um, we're in schools that all, uh, in all, you know, not necessarily in every district, but in most districts. Uh, we work with veterans. We're in the veteran clinics and the VA. We're in the child welfare system. We're in addictions. We're in the criminal justice system. We're everywhere, and we're still everywhere during this. So not only are we doing the same job we always do, but we're also supporting other people. Everyone I talk yes. to. Yeah, because social workers come into this profession for a reason. It's who we are as people. So we're working with clients and our client systems, but a lot of times we're also working with our neighbor who may have lost their job. We know the resources. We're going to give them that. We're not just going to say, no, you need to find that on your own. We're providing emotional support for our family and our friends. You know, we're we're supporting people at the grocery store if they're having a hard time. So yes. we're really kind of on the job 24-7 right now. And if you think about COVID as a marathon for social workers, we're at the start line. Yes, absolutely. Because, Excellent point. Yeah. I mean, this is the very beginning. We have years of recovery from the from dealing with the trauma of COVID. And the other point, and you, you brought out a very interesting point. And, and again, I've been hearing this particular point over and over again, that not only are the social workers supporting the clients and the uh, private citizens who are going through these traumatic experiences, 
but the social workers are also s- supporting the other social workers. And I-, I read stories and heard stories on several occasions where, especially in the hospitals, when the doctors and the nurses and the nurse practitioners and the EMTs, when they've got too much grief and they just can't handle it, they go to the social work office to talk to the social workers because they know that there is a, a place where they hold space for other people's grief. So people don't realize that because, you know, these doctors and nurses, you know, they're, they're in the thick of it and they're putting those ventilators on and they're trying to save lives and they're losing lives at a, you know, amazing clip that takes its toll. And that's really just a, a microcosm of what happens in society. And so when social workers step into the, the arena is something that they were, were trained to do, were educated about, but we also bring that compassionate piece. And that's why other people who are professionals, other frontline workers, the firefighters, they know that they can come to a social worker because we have that compassion. And, you know, that's kind of part of what, you know, this whole project is about the social workers, you know, displaying compassion, courage and character in the face of uh, insurmountable odds. And then all of a sudden, then the social worker needs to talk to another social worker. So in your role as executive director, how has some of that grief come back to your office or across your your desk in the form of other social workers reaching their, their breaking point? And how has NASW been you know working to support us after we have had all we can take for that moment. Hi, this is Silas, your e-journalism social work advocate. I'm the host of the Kelson on the Air social work podcast, heard and hosted right here on Anchor FM, and I love it. Try it and you'll love it too. And here's why. First, you get an RSS feed, which is absolutely critical for distribution of your podcast. Your show will be distributed and heard on seven additional podcast platforms besides Anchor. Platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and much, much more. And get this, they even offer analytics so that you can see how well your podcast is doing. And as if that weren't enough, they also give you a breakdown of what each chart or graph means. In addition to that, when you host your podcast on Anchor, you get international exposure. That's right. Your podcast is heard in different countries around the globe. And just so you know that they're really in your corner, they provide you with info about sponsorship opportunities as well. So for secure services for your podcast, make sure to use your anchor, Podcasting Services. Yeah, that is a really, really good point and really good question. So our first priority is customer service and being there for the social workers because our social workers across the state are in the field every day. Even if their field is their bedroom right now, they're still in the field and dealing um, with the emotional and, you know, mental health issues of, of people in society. So we return all our emails, we, we return all our calls, and I know that that sounds like, well, of course you do that. I think you have to understand the number that we get. <laughs> it's literally a couple hundred every day, mm-hmm. and it's very important to us that we respond to you. And sometimes, you know, grief is a funny thing. It comes out in different ways. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes things will come out as anger, or sometimes things will come out as, you know, sadness. And... Social workers are, are are dealing with that with their clients and their family all the time. So we we want to hold that for social workers in that NASW is a safe place for you to call and express those emotions. 
because we understand that this is part of your, you know, your processing of what you're going through because you're holding a lot of pain right now. So when this first started, one of the first things we did is we offered two free webinars on telehealth because there was a small percentage of social workers doing telehealth when this started. And then all of a sudden within a week, a lot of social workers had to get online with telehealth. So we hired someone who, who understands telehealth, who knows how it works. She understood all of the insurance companies, all of the requirements. So we had her do two webinars those first couple of weeks in March. And we opened that to everyone in the state, whether you're a member or not, because we felt like everyone deserved that information. We, we also started a COVID page. We, we got a web page up uh, pretty quickly. I'd say by the last week in March with resources, uh, we update this every day. We let you know what we're doing. We let you know what's coming up. And it's a way to interact. And so you know what's going on. And there's also a lot of resources on that page. Awesome. Then we took the areas that we normally focus on. We normally focus on these specific areas in the chapter. And then we just adapted. Mm-hmm. So one of those areas is advocacy. Yes. And so we continued our advocacy efforts. So between the national office and our office, we've engaged in over a dozen advocacy efforts from everything from, you know, telehealth services for hazard pay for social workers, for PPE for social workers, um, almost anything you can think of <laughs> we've advocated for. And we do that at several levels. We do it at the national, we do it at the state level, and we do it with state offices. And then the other thing that we kept hearing from social workers is, hey, I was signed up for a a conference and I was going to get the rest of my continuing ed I needed and now the conference is canceled. So we immediately got on that and we increased our continuing education by um, like threefold. And we contacted people we knew. So we, we are doing COVID specific trainings and then other trainings so people can still get their uh, license renewed and get the information they need to help their clients. So that was one of the big ones is getting people access to those continuing education. And so far we've done like 28 free continuing education units for social workers through this time. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of them are half off. So just, being, you know, being conscious of, of off making sure people have that free option. Yes. Uh, and then the other thing we're always looking at is community engagement. How can we get social workers talking to social workers? And that used to be we'd go out in, in public and we would meet in a public space and we would spend time together and we can't do that right now. So then we created our chapter chat and we had our leadership from our board uh, we asked them if they would want to sponsor them. So we've had several. I think our seventh one is next week. And this is an opportunity for any social worker, they don't have to be a member, to come on the chapter chat and just talk to it. We focus on certain areas. So, like, next week we're doing child welfare. So anyone interested in child welfare can jump on that chapter chat and talk to our board member, Sharon Caller, who works in child welfare. And those have been great. It's been really good back and forth. We find out information more of what members need on those, and members get to talk, you know, to each other and to the presenters. So that's something we've done. We did a graduate campaign that we started this week because one of the things we recognized back in March was it was pretty likely there weren't going to be commencement ceremonies. Yes. And 
you know, we just thought that was awful. We couldn't imagine all the work our students go through and then not getting that celebration. Mm-hmm. So we knew we wanted to do something for them. And we're, we're very lucky that we have three student members on our board. And then we have two students graduating on our staff. So we really turned to Ben and said, you know, what would you want? And they created this idea. So we've had over 300 students this, like in the last four days, submit their picture and a quote. And we've created a yearbook. Wow. And we're from... Yeah, awesome. it's it's great. I really have to give credit to uh, Notion Hawk, who's the chair of our comm committee, mm-hmm. and she's graduating with her BSW, and Elisa Kim, who's our communications associate, and she's graduating with her MSW. They, they have done a phenomenal job with the help of the comm committee. It's it's been really amazing. And, and I just love look. I just was looking at the pictures before we got on our call because I really like seeing all these new graduates. Yes. And then the comm committee is also working on a COVID project so that we can get the stories of our members and other social workers in the state up on our website. Like we are with the graduation mm-hmm. project. We really want people to know what people are doing and hear it from them and be able to see them. Um, And now we're looking at trying to figure out some fun activities for our members to do. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing we're working we want to implement because we think it's important to have an opportunity to get together and just kind of let off some steam. So we've been kind of going back and forth and looking for that because we just, we want to, you know, really have that community environment. So those are some of the things that we're doing. We're just, anything we hear that members want, we implement it to the best of our ability because we want to answer their needs and really support them because they're doing such important work right now. Wow. That, that's awesome. And, and I, I liked, I was very impressed with the, uh, you know, the graduate project that you guys were doing and in the chapter chats, I said, wow, that's just real, being real creative. Uh, I want to circle back to something because somebody that, that might be tuning into this interview and they hear the fact that NASW, you know, New York State chapter and NASW are fighting and advocating for hazard pay and um, PPEs for social workers. Well, someone that's not familiar with what we do and, and the depth to which we go to help people, they might be sitting there going, wait a minute, why do they need hazard pay? Why do they need PPEs? So can, can you kind of like peel back the layers so people can get a better insight into why would that be important to a social worker? Because I don't think people realize that we're that entrenched in this battle of COVID-19. So I think it would be great for our listeners if you could just kind of give some descriptive explanations of why that's important for social workers on this frontline battle. Oh, sure. So the argument for that is social workers, not only are they putting their lives in danger. So we have people, like I said, who are in the field, like immediately the people who come to mind is our child welfare workers who are going out and doing house check and going into the community, our hospital workers who are in the middle, you know, in the middle of the storm, so to speak, in the hospital serving people. Well, those two groups, I just want to say just immediately that those two come to mind, that they're on the front line. So you have people who are putting themselves at risk to do their job. Yes. And they've chosen to go in. Another part of that is that I don't think people may understand is people are not clocking in at nine o'clock and clocking out at five o'clock. They're working as long as they need to work to make sure that their clients have what they need. So 
that is, we have a lot of social workers who are working 12-hour days. And another point I want to make about this, so we have, we also have private practitioners, and I, I'm in communication with them a lot because we have a private practice listserv. So I'm, I'm able to keep up with what they need on a really regular basis because they just, they put out there exactly what's going on. So normally, their, you know, eight, nine-hour day that they would have of seeing clients and doing paperwork has been expanded exponentially because the whole system changed in one week. Yes. So they're having to contact insurance agencies. Uh, they're having to, like on behalf of their clients, just so they can see them, they're having to contact them. So they're working. We get the messages on our private listserv come from 4 o'clock in the morning. We'll get a lot of messages before, you know, 9, like from 4 to 9. And then they kind of start again at 7 o'clock at night to like 11 or 12. Because that's when they're doing their paperwork and everything so they can keep seeing their clients. So I think the hazard pay is important because they're not being reimbursed for the work they're doing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they're putting their lives at danger. So it's really important that they get reimbursed for that Um and that they're compensated. And then for the PPE, again, I talk to so many social workers who do not have what they need. They don't have masks. They don't have gloves. They don't have cleaning supplies. They don't have hand sanitizer and things to keep themselves safe. So that's a basic need. Yes. Like we, we owe it to the people who are interacting with the public that they should all have that. That's, that's an essential need to do their job. And, you know, we're asking them to make sure society is safe. We're asking you to go out and make sure our children are safe. Make sure that people in the hospital have what they need. Make sure that homeless people are getting to shelters and have what they need. Don't we owe it to them to, to protect them from COVID? Because they have families, too. They don't want to bring this back to their families. Excellent point. Yes. Excellent point. So the other thing is that when people hear about, you know, the hazard pay and and PPEs, you know, their minds automatically go to, oh, it must be a doctor or a nurse, not realizing that, well, there's a social worker who's on the medical staff of a hospital. They're right there in the in the middle of that that environment helping the doctor, maybe trying to comfort the patient while the doctor's, you know, doing what they have to do. So it's almost as if people can't picture a social worker being that close to the care and the treatment when in reality, you know, we've always been that close. So the other thing I, I want to just kind of touch on is, you know, obviously with all the schools sh- shut down, there's been a lot of online learning and doing a Zoom and classes and such. The universities have had to pivot and adapt as well. You know, you talked about the students and, you know, how NESW found creative ways to recognize them. What about faculty and staff and in the universities that teach social work? What have you seen? We're very lucky that we have a lot of faculty and staff as members. And we have multiple who are also on our board and in leadership positions. So they've actually been like informing us Mm -hmm. of the struggles and what's going on in the university. And, you know, we're definitely there to support them any way that we can. But like, I I will tell you, like one of the issues that we've heard a lot about is field placement. So when this hit in March, 
we had thousands of students who were all of a sudden out of the field placement. So we did get a lot of um, a lot of reach at that point, and um, we were willing to take students. We ended up with one, and she's been fantastic. Mm-hmm. But, but we said, yes, we will take students. Um, they can work virtually. We're all working virtually. Um, and then they, because of CSWE, our Council on Social Work Education, mm-hmm. and then also our state licensing board, they ended up reducing, they, 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 they provided ways that for some some universities, field hours were were reduced, and then also they provided other ways for them to to earn their field credit. So they, they didn't end up needing to use this as much. But I really do want to applaud the the faculty and staff at the universities because they're meeting all the time. They're meeting all the time to see how they can serve their students, and they. We're also hearing now from them just because they're grieving that they don't get to watch the students graduate. Yes. And, you know, they they're telling me, you know, I look forward to meeting the students, parents and family the whole, you know, the whole time they're in our program. And now they're graduating and and we don't get that opportunity. We don't get to celebrate them publicly the way they deserve. Mm -hmm. Now they're creative. So we've heard some really creative things that they're doing to celebrate the students. A lot of them are doing virtual events. They're reaching out and, you know, getting letters from community members and everything to support the, the students. But, yeah, I mean, it's been very difficult for them to go from, you know, in you know face-to-face classes to all online classes, no field placement, you know, all it's. It's been a challenge, and, and I just want to applaud them to how they've stepped up to that challenge. Awesome, awesome. Well, those are some very excellent points. Um, you know, very grateful that you were able to take some time out to kind of give our listeners some more insight from from a leadership standpoint. So as we get ready to wrap up and close, if you could say something to all the listening public about this profession during this tragically turbulent time, what would you like them to take away from this as we wrap this up? I would just say I am so passionate about social work. So it's easy for me to talk about because our profession, it's a profession that social justice focused. It's a profession that we're all about empowering people and, you know, building stages and letting people stand on those stages and advocate for themselves. And I see the same thing happening now. And we're also, you know, comforters in chief. <laughs> you know, we, <laughs> I like we that. Provide the, yeah, we provide the comfort for, for people who are mourning right now. We hold the pain. Social workers hold pain. And they're about people reaching their full potential and being their best selves. And none of that has changed during COVID. And I want to say that I keep stressing that point because we're trained to run into the crisis. Mm-hmm. So social workers did the same thing when 9-11 happened. Yes. Social workers did the same thing in any natural disaster that happened. Social workers run there. When children were being separated from their parents at the border, social workers were saying, how can I get a flight and go down and work with these families? I mean, we run toward the crisis and we're doing it now. We'll continue to do it. It's a marathon. COVID-19 is a marathon. We're at the start line. And I know that we'll make it. We'll make it to the end. And I suspect it's going to be years. Yes. It's going to be years of recovery. Yes. And we'll be there. 
and we're going to continue to be there to support our citizens and society and advocate for a more just society along the way. Awesome. And that, that's a great way to, to wrap up this interview because that's who we are and that's what we do. Thank you so much for giving some other insights for the listeners. I think that, you know, when it's all said and done, I'm hoping that people will have a newfound respect and appreciation for the work that we do and to the depth in which we do it, because there's no other profession, like you said, runs to the crisis, um, such as this profession that we've all been called to. And, you know, make no mistake that, you know, we, we are called, if you're in the social work profession, you didn't choose that profession, that profession chose you. So that speaks to the level of dedication. And so thank you so much for being here with us. Once again, this is Silas, your e-journalism social work advocate. We've been talking with uh, Dr. Samantha Fletcher, the executive director of the NASW New York State chapter. She's brought us a wealth of information and knowledge and thank you for your dedication. And we hope that as things get back to normal, that, you know, people will then stand up and recognize that the power of social work is to change people's fortunes and change lives and uplift the downtrodden and, and stand them on a ground where they can soar and, and rise to new heights that they never thought they were capable of. And I think that's the beauty of social work. We give people that belief that they can get past this and move on we've done that and we're going to continue doing that and thank you for the part that you're doing thank you silas i really appreciate this opportunity and i really appreciate what you're doing for the profession by holding this series this is silas your e-journalism social work advocate and host of the show you've been listening to the kelson on the air social work podcast this and all other programs are available on the apple itunes soundcloud spotify and anchor podcast platforms Go to any search engine and type in Kelson on the air in the search window to hear this show in its entirety. Thank you for tuning in. This has been a Kelson Communications production.